Coming up this week, we wrap a bucket load of action from Cricket World Cup League 2, African Women's Qualifiers, the European Cricket Championship, Under-19 World Cup qualifying and more. But first, a shout out to our Patreon supporters who help us do what we do. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket Patron. A huge shout out to our latest patrons, Andre Pizzaferrato and Samir Padaval. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash emerging cricket. But for now, let's jump into another EC pod. A very warm welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and I am once again joined by Tim Culler and Nick Skinner. Boys, how are we? First to you, Tim. Looks like you're soaking up the uh, sunshine once again. How have you been over the last week? I've been a car. I don't know how to take that. Are you telling me that I'm tanned or uh, is it because I sent you the photo of a beer in my hand from the beach bar? <laughs> <laughs> Might have been that. Yeah, I think. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I'm well. Uh, it's raining at the moment, which doesn't bode well for cricket this weekend. Pretty full-on couple of weeks, really. It was unfortunately a, a funeral yesterday, but um, busy, busy, busy times here, Daniel. How, how about you? How are you locked down, working, going? Ha, oh, look, uh, we're juggling, we're juggling, we're trying to keep the uh, head afloat, and I might use a few more cliches over the course of the, the next uh, 45 minutes of the show, but no, going okay, uh, we're about to roll out a heap of T20 World Cup content, team previews, squad previews, some of the best performances, retrospective looks, Nick, you've got a really good series coming up focusing on the Namibian World Cup team of 2003, with Namibia making their return to a World Cup, albeit the T20 format. Uh, first of all, how are you? I know you're looking forward to getting that out there. It's been a, a lot of work that you've undertaken to get that all sorted. I've had a listen to it. I've really enjoyed it. How have you been? Yes, well, it's uh, one that we were originally hoping to roll out last year in anticipation of the World Cup happening um, in Australia, but that obviously got, got switched around due to a, a certain virus that is uh, very well known these days. Um, yeah, I'm all right. I've been closely following the Canadian election, uh, which has turned out more or less the same result as last time. So that was a bit of a bust for the the Liberal Party and Trudeau, who tried to call a you know a snap election to get a, a majority, but they still I think they they gained one seat over their um their effort from last time. So that was a bit of a waste of time. The uh, do you vote in that as a citizen? No, no, you need a permanent address in Canada to, to be allowed to vote, which is, um, yes, but... Dear election officials, I am all-rounder voter, <laughs> and I live in Quebec. Uh, hi, I am a swing voter, please. <laughs> and I swing with both hands. <laughs> this is deja vu for us, because I remember us talking about the last election. On the no, you're, you're right, though, Bez, that, that's one of the uh, the talking points, is that they, they did just have an election a couple of years ago, and um, there, there wasn't necessarily a huge need for a new one given the parliament was was working okay with you know the centrist liberal party and the the progressive ndp working together fairly productively and um yeah it, it it's all just uh, yeah the one of the canadian satirical news sites called it a 650 million dollar spot the difference puzzle uh which more or less sums up the whole exercise Geez, that is grim, but good to know that they're uh, keeping a, a decent sense of humour about it all, like the Batuta Advocate does here in Australia and, and the Onion elsewhere. So that's good to hear. We've got a bumper show of 
cricket today on this week's show. Hey, good. But I think the first thing to probably acknowledge is something that's happened off the field in the last couple of days. The MCC formally adopting the term batter, uh, moving away from a term that would be centred on one gender, now gender neutral. Uh, a pretty logical decision and one that will not really be faced with much condemnation for us three. And I'm sure that the members of the emerging cricket community would probably agree as well. We've got bowler already. We've got fielder already. And now we've got batter. If only, you know, it's more consistent with our uh, press and, and, and style guide, Tim and Nick. So uh, ultimately, I think it's a good result. Yeah, like you said it, I think we've, for as long as we've had a style guide, I think we made a call very early on that we're going to be gender neutral and in- inclusive. Um, I dare say, despite some of the interesting opinions out there, um, yeah, same as I think names on backs of test shirts and various other things, if it's the little one percenters, it helps either bring people in, make the game easier and make it more inclusive, then it's great. Look, it has been strange making that change, I guess, in with my own vernacular in the last few years to batter, but it just that's just cricket now. But I think if there was a Venn diagram of people who are getting really angry about this, I think you could put probably people getting really angry about cricket changing terms of to batter and anti-vaxxers in the same circle. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Um... <laughs> Look, it's... It is, it's a masochistic thing when you kind of start clicking on the replies to some of these things. Um, it's generally egg accounts that are going... Never read the comments, Tim. Oh, no, never read the comments. Except when it's talking up emerging cricket. But well, yes. Always read the comments in emerging cricket. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's long overdue. The ICC have done it for a long time. Crick Info, let's say, is one of the, the highest profile uh, sites have done it last few months. I actually clicked on the MCC site a couple of days ago to check a law, or I can't remember what it was, and noticed that it still actually had batsmen. I thought, geez, this is weird. They're really, I would have thought that they would have moved uh, earlier. So it, it did come as a surprise. So not a surprise they've done it, but a surprise it took this long. Uh, we'll get into action on the field. To start off with, let's have a look at Cricket World Cup League 2 and the series that's just finished in Oman. There's another one about to start, but we'll quickly wrap the one that's just gone. Oman, Nepal and the USA. Oman winning three of their four matches, dropping one to Nepal. Nepal winning two matches, one against each opposition, Oman and the USA. And then the USA winning uh, just the one match. It was an interesting series, I think, part of uh, ICC.TV's new uh, streaming platform as well, and we'll probably talk about that in, in some depth in a moment. But one of the impressions that I had of this series, and this is just a general point to start off with, not necessarily angling it to a particular team, it did seem as if the teams in general were just a little bit rusty. I thought there were some quite inconsistent performances across the six matches. A lot of matches, teams were either bowled out or posting low totals. A couple of teams actually found it tricky chasing low totals as well. To start with you, Nick, what did you make of it? The new stream, Crick Club's obviously organising all that, and now Amarat, they're building that facility, getting it ready for a T20 World Cup. Oman pushing ahead slightly in the overall scheme of things, but what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you talk about the ICC streaming platform, which I, I had a look at. We've watched quite a lot of cricket on it in the last couple of weeks, and it's pretty good. The UI is okay. Um, it was kind of ironic that it was dropping out so much in Oman with the <laughs> with the ground sponsored by Omantel. Um, so it would have been good if if that didn't happen. Just looking at the kind of the, the setup, and they have some highlights, but not for all matches. Uh, it would have been pretty good if they'd left up, you know, just the full match sort of archived 
there as a you know as a resource for both you know fans maybe trying to do like uh, you know compilation videos which is which is a big thing in other sports uh, or mixtapes as they call them in basketball or or even you know for for teams looking to research against you know their opposition and just having that there would would be a, a really good thing for the ICC to do although you know that that's a pretty small quibble uh, in terms of um, you know compared to where we were even you know sort of three four five years ago and having games where there was just no coverage whatsoever and no footage and now we're here you know watching them live streamed with with commentary and um, and and I'm saying oh well why don't they have full matches archived so yeah I, I think we've definitely moved forward and and it's it's a great initiative from the ICC but just a few sort of technical bugs to iron out I think before it's um really up and running uh in terms of the cricket yeah as you said they do look a bit rusty um Oman consolidating at the top of the cricket world cup league two or world cricket league two as they like to call it on their social media (laughs) Um, you had to get that job in didn't you well i actually prefer world cricket league two as a as a name so i'm all for them keeping it alive but uh yeah consolidating at the top and one interesting sort of storyline will be just how they go in their run home because they've got this series and the next one against png in scotland and then I think that's the last of their home games unless they end up rescheduling the, 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 the matches that got cancelled uh, or suspended or um, whatever it was last year when uh, Sultan Said bin Qaboos died in the middle of the series and, and um, you know, Oman went into a, a national mourning and, and they couldn't finish the, the series. So, um, you know, how that all plays out in terms of the, the schedule will be interesting and even whether, you know, whether they're able to cram all this cricket in over the next sort of year or two. But, um, yeah... I think Jatinda Singh obviously was very impressive and probably the, the story of the series with that century against uh, Nepal, uh, hitting, I think it was off uh, 60 deliveries, which is the second fastest of any associate uh, batsman or batter. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking looking down the list of, of their batting lineup, we just saw a few kind of wobbles. There was that game against the USA where they got off to a, a rollicking start and then just got really bogged down and sort of fell over the line chasing, I think, 180 or so and just got there in the last over, which, yeah, as you say, they're a bit rusty and it's hard to tell how much we're, we're going to be able to kind of judge from this series. It'll be interesting to see how they go in the next series against Scotland and PNG, you know, having had this this series to warm up with. Yeah, it's when you're talking about the streaming side, I guess it's, you're always going to preface it, don't you, by, by saying how great it is the fact that we can we can watch it. However, <laughs> the the disconnect between the stream and the scores and table and highlights and interaction, I think, is is stark, and maybe that's something that the ICC can look at doing. I I remember the 2015 men's T20 World Cup qualifier back when it was the World T20 that was uh, run in Ireland and Scotland. They had clips go up on the app really quickly. It was all linked into the scorecards, linked into the points table, and, and it was a lot more joined up, and it, and it had a real image. Um, it had a real identity about it, and I think whilst we have these qualifying tournaments on the road to a World Cup, or indeed Cricket World Cup League 2, that forms such an important part of the, the qualification for for the next men's world cup and and challenge league hopefully once we see that get going it'd be great to have some semblance of connection there rather than just having a stream but it's a great start i'm just 
concerned about how they're going to be able to broadcast all these games and tournaments that are coming all at the same time from all around the world and quality commentators and quality operators because I think we've never seen this much associate cricket that we're going to see all, all push together ne- next year and for the sake of the game of what we're trying to do I say we as the raw we as in the game of getting this out to as many people as possible that it's 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 a good product because we're trying to draw in new fans to this um, not only to um, placate those of us that have been calling for this for, for a long time so I think that's the the too long didn't read version is uh, it's good um, but it could be a lot better but it's great um, and Nepal yeah intriguing sort of post Paris time really isn't it you know last series under Dav Watmore which in itself was a strange time when he was hired when he was too old for the ad that they put out um, then news got out that he was leaving more or less straight away to go to this job in India and, and now he's leaving you know, who's going to Who's going to step in there? Because I think it's fair to say the coach has been a huge driver of, of how that team has performed in the last few years and to drive the type of cricket that they'll play, especially with kids coming through. You know, Podell, uh, you know, we talked about them last week about how well he, he batted to, to get them across the line that their, their first win. But, you know, how many of those, those under-19 stock that have done so well in the past will, will start coming through and, and being mainstays? But no, your point about Aman, I'm not sure if it's an advantage or not them playing this much cricket. Um, this many ODIs, you know, back-to-back series for them. I, I think it probably is an advantage in that they've had time out there to, to blow the cobwebs out and Bilal swinging it around corners again, where PNG and Scotland will have their eyes on two things. And I know they would say that they're only concentrating on the game that they're playing and ODIs, etc. But you've unlike Nepal and America, who were once finishing here, getting on the plane and, and going home and not worrying about T20 cricket, you've got Scotland and PNG landing there that are not only got Cricket World Cup League 2 and, and they haven't played a lot of cricket in the past, especially not PNG, but they're also looking forward towards T20 World Cup. So it's going to be very interesting. Need to give PNG a bit of a shout out. They left for Oman really early in order to prepare for both Cricket World Cup League Two and the T20 World Cup. It's going to be really interesting. All three of those teams, undoubtedly, with one eye on the T20 World Cup. You know, we're all human. I think a lot of those guys will, will probably think the same. To look back at Oman, they'll do a lot of their running early with with home matches, and depending on how much of the rest of Cricket World Cup League Two goes on how many fixtures we actually get they might not play a whole lot more at all let alone away from home so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do moving forward and then looking at their team and this applies to both cricket world cup league two and the t20 world cup there's a couple of questions in that team for me looking at numbers five to seven with the bat and i know it's easy to say, well, if they lose their top four early because you know how many good teams lose their top four early muhammad nadeem not a number five, I don't think, and probably in similar outfits around the world. He's probably only being picked as a bowler. Suraj Kumar with the gloves is a handy bat, and then there's the guys like Sandeep Good and Nazim Kushi. Don't really know where they fit. Ayan Khan's come in, Nesta Dumber as well. Once again, it looks like they're going to be tinkering, um, and a couple of guys on the precipice of qualifying for a mum, but don't qualify as yet and won't play in the World Cup either. Uh, looking at Nepal as well, just quickly, there's so much ability in Bertel and Asif Sheikh at the top of the order that they've got this uncanny ability of scoring runs 
off good length deliveries where they can kind of stand and deliver. They almost play on the up, but hit the ball on the ground. It's a pretty rare skill, not only for Nepali bats, but just bats at this level. It'll just be a case of them just picking the right ball to attack especially in 50-over cricket. In T20 cricket, they've got a bit more of a license, but one of their small chases, I think they had to chase 121 or 122 against Oman, and Bertel played this sort of move across his stumps and paddle attempt over the 45 fielder when they were none for quite a few, needing about 80 to win, and it was like, come on, mate. You know, you don't really need to do that in this situation. So there's a couple of things that need to be taken on board there. With Dav Watmore leaving, it'll be interesting to see what they do. There's talk of Umash Patwal again, which I would have thought that the Nepalis and all their fans had burnt the bridges there because they made him a little bit of a scapegoat in their lack of form when he was coaching them. And then there's talk of Pabuda Dasanayaka again. We know that he's there for the Everest Premier League. It seems like he's happy being in the US, doing minor league cricket and everything there, but he's another name that's been brought up, and it's Dav Watmore's turned out to only be a, a, a temporary remedy because he hasn't stayed that long. He looked to have done a really good job, and... The framework of a good team seems to be there. I'm really intrigued as to see, you know, who they go with next. They've got to focus on both 50 over and T20 World Cup cricket because there's another World Cup next year. There's plenty of questions there and they've got to get it right pretty quickly, Nick. Yeah, I think where where they go next is going to be pretty decisive. You know, looking forward at the, the fixture list, you know, as you said, there's the next year's World Cup and there's the ongoing Cricket World Cup League 2 campaign. Um, so, if they can get someone who builds on Watmore's work and and you know he's able to get the best out of these young guys who I mean they've they've always been okay with the ball and having you know three guys if you include Rohit Padel who who's looked very solid as well three guys who you can you can build a team around in, in terms of the top order you reliably be scoring uh much more defendable totals I think that's going to make a huge difference to Nepal uh, in terms of their results, and and this is kind of the the missing link, I guess, with associate cricket more generally, is just a strong Nepal or a, a Nepal that is as strong as their fans feel like they, uh, you know, deserve. They could be and should be. Yeah, yeah, and and so I, I think if they can get it right, it'll be very exciting for associate cricket generally. But yeah, Pabudu, I think would be a good choice, uh, but as you say possibly uh, doesn't want the drama of <laughs> having to deal with Nepal. Umesh Patwal, uh, I liken to uh, Ingleton LeBird, <laughs> who sort of gets wheeled out every now and then by Canada when they the, the cupboard's bare of coaches. Um, so, yeah, maybe they'll go back to him. But, yeah, you'd think they would try and find someone and, and lock them in for a you know a good sort of two, three-year contract and, and make sure that they're around for the you know huge number of tournaments that are coming up over the over the sort of back end of this cycle, start of next cycle that's all been compressed together. We haven't really talked about USA at all. What what mark do we do we give them? I think the you know, we talked about teams not playing a lot of cricket beforehand, but the USA have been deep in minor league and all, all of their team have been getting regular cricket. Now I, there was some bizarre batting order changes <laughs> which Yeah. If you didn't know better, it would appear that each time was to protect a certain batter from a leg, a certain leg spinner who bowls a lot of wrongins. Like I, I'm all for you know solutions based decisions, you know, and you're trying to solve problems. But that was a bit weird, wasn't it? Where do you even begin with that? A guy that's hit six sixes in and over, made 173 not out in Jasker and Malhotra, is being left in the dugout 
for a player who could realistically bat 11 for his team, depending on how they lined up. I found it very head-scratching, to be perfectly honest. And I don't really know what the thought process is there. I understand you want to see off the best bowler on the opposition team, but I think you should be able to trust one of your best players, one of your best batters, to accommodate for that. Even if he wants to tick the strike over with three and over singles into the deep. I'd much rather have one of my best players face as many balls as possible. It's a bit of a cliche that gets thrown around, but it would get to a point where the likes of Kenjige batting at five, we also saw Kareem Agoura at three at times, they're just sucking balls. They're just wasting deliveries. For what purpose? I mean, it's this isn't test cricket. As much as we'd like a lot of these teams to be playing four-day into the Continental Cup, bless that tournament... Again, Nick, have you got any wisdom or intel that you can lay on us here? Because I was flummoxed by what I saw in Oman at times in terms of stuff like that. Yeah, it was quite bizarre, wasn't it? Uh, (laughs) The closest I've seen a a one-day team have to a a night watchman. Yeah. Or a night watcher, maybe. I don't know. Mm. I was actually thinking about how we're going to say it. It's got to be just the night's watch, hasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sending um, Kareem Agore to the wall at uh, number three when Sandeep's tying them in knots. Mm. Very, very strange. Um, I, yeah, I mean, if if you've got a guy who's just hit six sixes and the highest you know one-day international score for his country, and uh, why are you hiding him behind a tail ender? It, it's just a very odd decision. And I mean, realistically they're probably going to want to play out Sandeep anyway, so why not have the people who are more equipped to do that? And I mean, Gore's okay. He ha- he, you know, He's technically compact. He's not the worst person to have out there, but yeah, very strange decision. Looking you know, on the bright side, though, Stephen Taylor was probably one of the best batters at this uh, tri-series, and you know, he's looking in the best form he's been in for probably a decade or so. And, you know, talking to Nate and PDP about this, moving him back up the top of the order and just giving him that freedom to, to go after the ball has really worked wonders because, you know, there was a time where he was being shuffled around the order and kind of tasked with being you know, responsible because he, at his best, is one of their most uh, destructive and powerful hitters of the ball. So, yeah, it, it was quite strange that he was kind of being asked to be more responsible and yeah giving him just that freedom back at, at the top I think has he's just looked a lot more fluent on the ball and you know getting to it and the way he's seeing it off the bat rather than at times you know even when we're in Namibia in 2019 he looked sort of a bit caught in two minds in a couple of his innings and just that kind of um, mental shift seems to have brought out the best of him so that's going to be good for them going forward. It's really weird to think that Stephen Taylor is still only 27. Yeah. You know, I, I think we sort of think he's been around so long that he's kind of getting to mid to late 30s and we won't see him play for much longer. So a, a fit and firing Steve Taylor is great for USA cricket. I just hope that it doesn't mean that uh, he scores runs and then thinks, or oh, maybe I should, you know, spend time, more time in CPL and try to mangle my way through the CPL and perhaps into a West Indies top. But um, that is, is really great. And um, yeah, like you said, that time in, in Namibia. So, you know, the USA, to talk about coaches, you know, Jay Aaron Kumar 
has been in charge for a few months now, so I, I, I can only imagine that perhaps that's that's his doing about him getting back up the order and, and letting him express himself, as they say, express those skills. <laughs> um, but no, and it's, it's entertaining because, you know, you don't want to judge a guy or a girl on one shot, but he hit one ball in Namibia that I remember it made a different sound to any other ball hit the entire time. And it's a bit like when you stand behind a pro golfer and it just like makes a different, different noise. So, But yeah, exciting. I guess it's only disappointing that we're not going to see that kind of talent uh, the World Cup coming up, or at least in front in front of the world, with uh, with the USA bungled out by Bermuda in the the regional qualifiers, as as, as we remember. But um, I guess in the end, for the USA, they're they're leaving with only one win. You say express yourself. There are a couple of incredible catches in this tri series. One from Kareem Gore, one from Rohit Pordell, which I know that with streams now we get to see a lot more of this, and people you know around listening to this will be able to regale incredible stories of some athletic catches in the associate game but there are a few that come to my mind in terms of outstanding catches at this level one-handed regathered on the rope by himself made it look really easy and not only that it's a skill that not a whole lot of associate players get to actually do because half the time they're probably not even playing with boundary ropes which makes it even crazier to me i can't think of of a better catch than that unless anyone's got any objections Looking forward to the next tri-series, Scotland, Oman and PNG. We'll look a little bit more into that on next week's show. Let's head to the Africa Women's Qualifier. Jeez, an eventful 11 days with 11 teams, as we said in the preview, Nick. Another Mancad gate, uh, this time from Cameroon's Maeve Duma. We'll talk about that in a second. But a final that we were expecting to see expecting to see Zimbabwe taking on Namibia, the winners of their respective groups in round-robin group action. We knew that Namibia would have to lift a little bit with the bat in the final. They fell 13 runs short. They probably gave it a, a better crack than we probably would have earmarked them to have. Zimbabwe once again winning the tournament. This time they'll progress to the global qualifier, hopefully with Zimbabwe not suspended by the ICC <laughs> uh, when the women's qualifier happens. Touch wood for, for them. But a lot of storylines to take out of this. And I thought overall the growth and the development of the game in that part of the world has seen... An electric jump, especially from the likes of Rwanda and, and Tanzania, um, who looked quite good. Uganda, of course, making the semifinals as well and, and giving Namibia a run for their money on match day one. A whole lot of action going on. And, and yeah, we were lucky to, to be able to watch that as well. Yeah, I mean, first off, good effort from Botswana running this tournament and you know getting everything going with 11 teams and only a couple of ovals. So. Yeah. Not many full members could do that, yeah. you have to say. <laughs> um but yeah, as, as you say, there's, there's sort of um, a clear hierarchy starting to emerge in African cricket. Uh, you look at both, you know, both of the two groups and the points tables had each team beating all the teams below them on the ladder. And so Zimbabwe and Namibia went through undefeated. Tanzania and Uganda were the two semi-finalists who joined them and they both beat all the other teams below them and, and so on. Um, Tanzania, I think, were very impressive. They nearly got Namibia, uh, knocked Namibia out in the semi-final as well and as you said, Uganda and Namibia played a tense game in the first uh, first day of the tournament, I think. Zimbabwe, yeah, just too good. You know, they've just got a lot of quality and they can recover from early losses against other teams, which um, a lot of these you know, other other sides just can't afford early wickets. You know, Zimbabwe were, they were 5 for 44 in the 14th over against Uganda in their semi-final. Uh, but then Precious Marange hit uh, 40 off 25 to get them up to a, a pretty defendable uh, 108. Um, most of the batters stood up and, and scored runs at various points, and they've got 
some power down the order as well with uh, with Nkomo and Marange who can step on the accelerator in the last few overs and that's you know one or two batters more than most of the other teams have. Same in the final, they just have more experience and you know they're just slightly better at the little things. You know, judging their innings and and um, pushing on through you know turning ones into twos, just sort of the basics that are a bit kind of intuitive and you know, or even things like waiting their shots into the gaps rather than um, hitting a really nice shot straight to the fielder. Um, the quicks again, yeah, just a yard or two faster. Mbafana, who's you know she's not expressed by full member standards, but noticeably quicker than a lot of the others. And yeah, in the final, I mean, Namibia, honestly, you said they lost by 13 runs. They probably gave away 15 runs in just in terms of you know, letting the Zimbabweans run an extra one or, you know, throwing to the wrong end or, or, or just they, they, they looked a bit sloppy and that's disappointing for them. And, and I think that's something that they can actually fix that. You know, they, they, they can't necessarily create a, <laughs> a new fastball out of nothing, but they, they can work on their fielding. So I think that's something that, that they'll need to work on. The batting, you know, as, as you implied, they, um, they're one or two solid batters short. Vitman at the top can hit, but she gets bogged down. So that's something that, again, they, they just need this experience to, to be able to know, you know, where to hit it and, and um, just placement and uh, Rastra Dierhardt down the order. They don't quite seem to know what to do with her. She's she's a proper bat, very technically correct, and, and she has an intuitive knack for picking the gaps, which has been a weakness for them. And she's just getting shuffled around the order. She... she opened a little while ago um she was playing in the middle order slash lower order down this time which i thought was a bit strange irene fun i actually really like in that role because she's a very busy player and and can play that sort of stabilizing nerdling role um but yeah again just not quite there in in, in, in terms of the quality bowling wise they have a few good options wilkham motile got namibia's first five for against cameroon vitman's a handy seam option uh, Victoria Hamaniella's off spin, very tidy, but strange that Sylvia Shehepo, another another seam bowler who's the top wicket taker in T20Is for Namibia, didn't get a bowl in the last couple of games. So I, I don't know. Yeah, just just a few odd decisions here and there from Namibia, and yeah, as you said, thirteen runs. Just it all kind of added up and and cost them the game really. Looking at some of the scores over the course of the tournament for Namibia, it definitely seemed as if they were winning matches with the ball. They weren't necessarily posting huge totals. I remember in that first game, I think they beat Uganda by four runs and they'd set, I think it might have been 105. So it it kind of goes into that that theory that, and we say this about a number of teams at associate level, that the, the batting is just a little bit short of what's needed to deliver at the at the next level once you, you do reach, say, a global qualifier like Zimbabwe will reach because they do have that slight depth in batting over even their nearest rivals in someone like Namibia. And we saw it again a level above when Zimbabwe played against Thailand in the in the series that Thailand traveled to, to Zimbabwe for. So, yeah, as you mentioned, there is a pretty clear hierarchy. One thing I do want to bring up before we move on Maeve Duma again. <laughs> Four non-striker runouts in one innings against Uganda, which from the outside is a team that you would think after the first one. Or even the second one. <laughs> or even the third one. <laughs> <laughs> or in the third one. It was not forthcoming. Maeve Duma made a point, and she said this on the ICC website. She she said this in a number of interviews since. She told them, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the ground, I'm going to run you out and it's within the laws of the game 
to me, it only proves that it is a legitimate dismissal because if people keep wanting to cheat and people keep wanting to go out of their ground, there needs to be some sort of punishment for it. And this is coming from someone who hates bowlers. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're cheating. I think that's the cheating is... I'd, yes, okay. Like it, it, I would liken it to... well, Picking off in baseball at first base. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same. You can take as much ground as you want to, but if you get caught out of your ground... Yeah, exactly. There's a risk. Unlucky. That's it. So you will get Cameroons. <laughs> Maybe that's the new term. Yeah. I love it. Cameroon cads. You've been marooned. Um, yeah, I, 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 dear Ryan Campbell. Oh, he's he's look, and I, and I and I love him, and I love him. He's one of my dearest friends. He but doesn't like the man cads, does he? He's, he he still holds on to it. He goes, nah, nah, that's <laughs> t- horrible. You know, <laughs> it's like, look, she would have let go of the ball by then. You know, it's not even a legitimate dismissal. Ah, like, uh, well, no, not number one, not number two. Thank you for. Bertus's uh, threat of death on that as well. That was great, just being able to watch them all in a row. But it's like, no, all of them were out of their ground before the point that the ball would have been delivered. So it wasn't like did a fake one, went over the top and went back and, and took the stumps out. Each time, batter was not watching, was walking and was out of the, their ground before the ball was delivered. So if that doesn't make you change your running style and watch the ball come out of the hand and then go, I, I don't know what will, but great stuff. Oh, cricket. How good is it? <laughs> Well, and it's good that it's Cameroon doing this, I think, because, you know, I would love to see some more growth in Francophone West Africa, uh, as opposed to a lot of the current teams that are coming through from the the historically English-speaking countries. And and Cameroon's interesting in that it has a kind of Francophone and Anglophone communities uh, within it. So... Um, yeah, I think the more the more growth in that region, the better. And um, it is interesting that it's someone from a country that doesn't have as much of a cricketing tradition and maybe isn't as steeped in the kind of spirit of the game and, and all those kinds of ideas. And they just, you know, <laughs> she just saw the rules and said, well, why not follow the rules? Look, if we're going to create a trophy for cricketers to affect four runouts of any type, let's say runouts at the non-strikers end, and to be a wicket within a hat-trick. Uh, I think we can fairly well engrave the name of Duma onto that trophy and give it to her. Because that, that is something that will never, ever happen again in cricket. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty dozy, as you say, to be... I mean, <laughs> four of them in a row. Come on, guys. Um, but just before we move on, I would just quickly make the point about Uganda in that, yeah, their, their batting, I think, really was the problem. And... Um, they have a few handy bowlers coming through, but they couldn't back up you know, the, the bowlers with, with the bat, and, and that really cost them. Irene Alumo was very impressive. The, she made a debut uh, in this tournament, a uh, tall, sort of lanky seamer with, with some zip and extracting some bounce. Kontia Weko uh, with a second international hat-trick was very difficult to get away, and she joins Lasith Malinga as, um, I believe, the only person with two international hat-tricks in the T20i format. So that was very impressive. Uh, Tanzania, as we said, very much improved. They're, they've run up some big scores against the weaker teams and you know, they almost got over the line against Namibia, pushed Zimbabwe a bit. And Rwanda, who you mentioned at the top there, Bez, they looked to be on an upward swing. They gave uh, Tanzania a bit of a fight and, and even Zimbabwe, um, who ultimately won pretty comfortably. But they, they just, you know, a couple of more good quality players coming through and they'll be really up there with Tanzania and, and Uganda as you know, really you know that East Africa region. So I think, yeah, exciting times for, for African women's cricket. Let's head quickly to Scotland, a team who are in Oman ready for Cricket World Cup 
League Two. They played Zimbabwe on the men's side in the T20 International Series. And it was Zimbabwe victorious there as well, winning the Series 2-1 after being down 1-0 early in the series. A little bit tricky with the time zones, trying to watch a lot of this. And the stream was, uh, well, it was inactive for the first part of, of Match 1 where they tried to set things up. And that's something I've actually noticed with a number of competitions around. It always seems like day one, things aren't tested the day before and then everything's thrown into day one and things go awry. Just something that I've kind of noticed as a trend. Maybe work out some of your testing stuff before you host international cricket. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Anyway, Richie Barrington and Safian Sharif dominated in game one for Scotland. Barrington with a with a priceless 50. Sharif, I think, took four for. But then in the other two games, the wheels fell off a little bit. Scotland in a chase in match two fell uh, short needing, I think it was maybe 10 or a dozen off the last over and losing four wickets in that last over. And then in the third match, it looked as if they were in a really good spot. They made 177. George Munsey made runs only for Zimbabwe to, to hit back and, and beat them in the chase. So I'm not 100% sure where I stand with Scotland. I think that if we do look to the World Cup, outside of Bangladesh, if you look at the other three teams in that group, Oman, PNG, and Scotland, I think Scotland have a bigger group of potential match winners in their group. I think they have a little bit more depth than the other two teams. But dropping two matches like that to Zimbabwe, I know they're a full member, but I think Scotland would be really disappointed to give that series away. Yeah, sloppy, I think, is probably the only way to describe it. That last over you mentioned... They needed 13 off the last over with four wickets in hand, which they all lost. There were two runouts. I mean, that's the kind of thing that just shows that they're sort of not quite there mentally. They've lost all four of those wickets in a row. You know, the first four balls of the over that just bam, bam, bam. So, yeah, not great. I I think maybe it's just a level of rustiness and, again... They haven't quite had enough prep and, and hopefully they can work on that ahead of the, the World Cup. Although, you know, even in the qualifiers, they were a bit sort of patchy and, and they lost a, a few games early and they, they looked like they're in danger of not qualifying. So in the T20 format, they're quite vulnerable at times. Um, so it'll yeah, it'll be interesting how they back up from this. Um, and yeah, as you kind of uh, alluded to, you know, a golden opportunity to get a, a serious win against a full member and, and they just sort of wasted it. Um, that third game especially I mean Milton Shumba who seems like a handy prospect for Zimbabwe only 20 years old hit 66 not out off 29 to to get them home but you know if your team needs 100 plus off the last 10 overs you know you you would surely you would back the bowling team to defend that so yeah hopefully it's just a bit of rust that they can shake off and, and not anything deeper let's quickly jump back to Africa I know we've gone a little bit over the place here but Thailand, they've continued their tour of Southern Africa, played Zimbabwe uh, earlier, late last month and early this month. Now in South Africa, playing against the emerging side, continuing their build-up in the qualification for the 2022 World Cup in New Zealand, but also with an eye to the T20 Women's World Cup in South Africa in 2023. Uh, 3-2 loss in the 50-over matches. They won 2-1 in the 2020s, which is really encouraging. We know that's the better of the two formats, Nick. You looked at this with great interest. It's been, well, not only on the field has it seemed to be a really positive series and, and a really important series in their development, but I think the lessons to take here, being on a long tour and, and playing matches of this type, can only bode well for this Thai team into the future with, as we say, two World Cup in, in, in two different formats. Yeah, I think they showed a lot of grit with the bat, which is good in the 50-over format. Um, because, you know, it, it, that's what they're preparing for with the, the Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier coming up in November. And obviously, there's there's direct qualification spots on the line there as well. But it's, it's not just 
direct qualification. It's qualification into the ICC Women's Championship, which you know guarantees them a number of ODIs over the next uh, couple of years in, in the cycle. So uh, the top five teams in that tournament uh, will be qualifying. So you know having a, a good preparation for that, uh, I think, is very important. And the fact that they were able to put up a couple of strong scores, 277-1 game with, with Chantam and Nanapat, uh, both scoring big, couple of tons to Natakan, you know, Naramal Chaiwai contributed as well, Contraronkai batted well in a couple of the innings as well. So they've, they're starting to build some depth, as, as we were talking about before, some depth in their batting, which is going to be very important. And I mean, looking at lower ranked full members like Pakistan, that they're probably going to try and finish ahead of, you know, they're, they're improving their depth all the time as well. So Thailand will need to keep up. You know, someone like Pakistan, for example, has, I think, recently instituted quite a lot of domestic contracts. So again, with Thailand, if they want their women to keep that edge, they're going to need to keep building. And they found, obviously, a lot of the familiar names, but some some new people as well. Uh, Butcher Tam was amazing uh, with her off-spin, 38 wickets in the 15 matches of this tour. But you know, Silipon Lomi, who's one of the younger crew, um, leg spinner, was really impressive. She's a bit inaccurate at times, but... Yeah, she gives it a good rip and, and she takes wickets, which is what you want. Uh, Tapacha Putawong, another left-arm orthodox, was a good find. Uh, Kamchompu, Tipox, both tidy. Uh, it was a bit odd to see that Chanita Sudarang wasn't bowling much. Mm, um, this... Yeah, again, it's been a trend of the whole tour, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm worried that there's something something not right there. Yeah, I, I don't know if she might be carrying a niggle or if, if it's a strategic decision. Or Yeah, it's very strange because she was batting very well in that sort of lower middle order finisher role, but she's probably their best seam bowler you know, gets a bit of wobble with the new ball. And, you know, someone, you know, we saw a couple of them, new crew, uh, Afasara, Suanchon Rathi, uh, Fanita Maya, both bowling seam, but didn't have the incisive edge that Chanita can have. So that's going to be a cause for concern, especially as they're competing with, you know, with full members who are much better able to deal with, you know, mediocre, uh, medium pace bowling. So, they can probably at the moment rely on just having a lot of very good spinners, but that's one area of, of concern for them that in an otherwise very impressive tour. And um, the fact that they've come back from a number of defeats and kept winning games, you know, they won 2-1 in the T20s uh, against both the South Africa emerging side and Zimbabwe, and they lost 2-3 in the 50-over um, series against the, the South Africans, but they tied up the series in, in one day as against Zimbabwe. So just seeing them come back from, from being a couple of matches down is shows a bit of fight. So I think they'll do well in this upcoming tournament, but trying to develop some, some seam bowlers is probably a, an area of concern. I have seen it with swing bowlers at higher club level and, and moving into some high performance ends where if they do predominantly bowl in swing like Satura Wang does, sometimes they... Once they lose their radar, it's impossible to get back. They almost get the yips. The Ian Baker Finches. Or the Anchi Rath. <laughs> the, or, the, or the Anchi Raths when it comes to bowling. Not like he's batting, you know, has ever really experienced that. So let's just hope that it's something, you know, not, not of that nature and, and something that she can overcome because, yeah, going back to the World Cup that they played in and even before that, she's one of their best bowling weapons and we hope to see you know them at full strength and, and with her you know leading the line with the quick bowling but as you say in entire Bujatam strength to strength she was nominated for ICC player of the month as well um, lost out to Amy Richardson who had an unbelievable qualified campaign in Europe but just a record that you just need to read to almost believe when you 
flick through the quick info profiles. That's how good she's been going. No one knows how to play her and no one's come up with an answer ever since she started playing international cricket. So Thailand again on the up. It'll be interesting to see, you know, say Zimbabwe once they do come to a global qualifier again to revisit that action against Thailand and yeah, a couple of other teams who are in that sort of bubble on the precipice of qualifying, how that all shakes out. Let's head to Europe, and the European Cricket Championship has shown us something a little bit different over the last couple of weeks. T10 International Cricket, officially not quite recognised, but it's the first time we've really seen anything of this nature. Daniel Weston and his crew heading into the international game, which is good to see, continues that little ladder and framework from the domestic action of the European Cricket League and European Cricket Series. Uh, transition into an international sense. It kind of completes his little steps and levels on the way in the cricket that he wants on the continent. And it's been good fun to watch so far. The action's been great to watch on on TV here in Australia. Actually, it's been signed up by Fox Sports and KO, and it's had a number of rights deals around the world. The streaming and, and the service, the TV broadcast has been as close to seamless as you would get for a competition of this nature. To look at, look at Group A, Spain ran away winners of Group A and qualified for finals week alongside Belgium who finished in second. Um, That was a pretty even group for the top four teams. Luxembourg finishing fifth in that group. They've just announced that they're going to be part of the ECL next year as well, which is good to see. Group B is intriguing. We see a Dutch 11 competing, which is kind of a Dutch A team, um, as has been noted. Not quite a team that really befits T10 cricket per se. More or less the guys who are kind of on at that level below the first team. But we know that they're under 19 teams also in World Cup qualifying at the moment, which we'll talk about in a few moments. So a lot of Dutch guys in the system playing concurrently which is probably a testament to their depth if anything they're topping um oh sorry with two games left as we record they are leading that group with austria in second pavel florin's return for romania we've seen him hit a boundary but tim to to bring it to you i'm watching this cricket nightly you know here in australia great time zone for us the stream has been borderline perfect I don't really know how you can really complain about this. We'd, I'd love to see just more cricket, maybe a T20. I understand what, what Weston's trying to do with T10, but the product's good and the action's been fun to watch. Yeah, I think uh, in contrast to, to what we're just talking about, the quality of the production for the ICC events, you know, if we had the quality of this production for, for that, we'd also see it on TV screens around the world as well. And I think ultimately that's what we're trying to do with those ICC events to, to get that exposure that we need. But... You know, whether you, you like T10 cricket or not, I think it's sort of irrelevant to this this conversation. You know, it's a product that he's come up with and he's, he's put together. And it's been, a, I think, by his own admission, it was a sort of a, a passion play that's turned into a, a, you know, taking over his, his life. Um, and if it grows a game in, in, in Europe, then that's that's a win-win. But it just shows what can be done when uh, the game's invested in. But, geez, it, may, it does make you your dream, doesn't it? If you're imagining the ICC events being, being broadcast at ECL style. Staying in Europe, the Under-19 World Cup qualifier for next year's Under-19 Cricket World Cup. Uh, Netherlands competing in this as well, just to to kind of carry on from the last topic. They ended an eight-year hoodoo with a win over Ireland. First time they'd beaten Ireland at Under-19 level uh, since 2013. For the Irish, Jack Dixon made a great 100 against Jersey. Uh, Saw him celebrate, bringing that up, posted that across our social medias. And Scotland, after looking so dominant early in the competition, have opened it up completely, being bowled out in the 40s to Ireland. Charlie Peat is back for Scotland, uh, who played in that World Cup team. Left-arm orthodox spinner, one of uh, Tim's (laughs) clan members on uh, that side of things. And he looks 
every bit of a full Scotland international in the next few years, assuming, you know, Hamza Tahir and Mark Watt aren't featuring as much for Scotland. So he's got a lot of competition there. But yeah, it's looking as if Scotland are, are running away with this region and will be in the West Indies next year. I didn't want to jump in as you were, you were talking then, but I think we should make a point of, you know, that it's the men's under-19 World Cup qualifiers, the fact that we're finally going to have some... Uh, yes. Some women's under-19s too leading into 2023. You know, the men's are even... Um, number years and the and the women's will start from 2023 onwards too and I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to that seeing the growth of the, the, the game especially in this region and what that has done uh, on the women's side I guess the the biggest issue with women's cricket though is so often that you know, your national team the majority of those are between the age of, well the, the squad are between the age of 15 and 19 anyway so it won't be much different but we're sort of looking at the the players here at the moment and, and how similar that will be but I think that's a great step and, and long overdue. Well, great talking to you fellas once again here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast. And thank you to all of you who have hung around for this chat without a guest this week because we just knew that there was so much cricket going on around. It was probably better for us to uh, chew the fat, as it were. Once again, thank you for joining us here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast, both online and on Sport FM in Perth. Make sure, if you are on Spotify too, to turn that notification bell icon on Ding. so you are alerted to whenever our show drops every week. I love the sound effects. That's what we need. More sound effects, human or machine. And before we do finish today, uh, a huge shout out to Rod Lyle, has become the most proficient writer in terms of articles written on EmergingCricket.com. Past 150 this week with a number of glowing pieces on the Under-19 World Cup qualification, as well as a great piece on Ryan Tendiscata calling time on his career after the T20 World Cup. So a huge shout-out needs to go to Roderick, and a good test to see if he gets to the end of this podcast, because he'll tell us if he heard this shout-out or not. (laughs) But once again, thanks to everyone listening, wherever you are around the world. Take care, enjoy your week, and make sure to watch all of these streams and action going on in the Emerging Cricket world. We'll see you next week.